Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and this is the show where I get to talk about sports, I get to talk about business, and I get to talk about everything in between. My incredible guest today, I have Jason Howarth, the Vice President of Marketing at Panini America. Jason, how you doing today, man? Hey, Michael, how are you? It's a good day to be alive, brother. It's a good day to be alive as we were BSing before. Uh, not excited about this football game tonight, but I'm still going to watch it. Probably still going to bet on it. Still probably have some fantasy players in it. And uh, yeah, they, the NFL, they got me. They got me, man. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, I have a role in fantasy. Never drafted New York Jet. Mm. And that's only because I'm from Boston and I'm a New England Patriot fan. So I could never root for a New England Jet player. Even So I just refuse to draft them on my team. I respect that. I have the same rule, but it's for the Philadelphia Eagles. So Okay, that's fair. It goes both ways. I like that. I like that a lot. So uh, very excited to have you on today, Jason, as I was telling you before, and and we'll let the audience know a little bit now. The the sports card market has just been crazy, especially during the pandemic. It's obviously been around for a very long time. I have so many baseball cards in my, uh, you know, the bedroom I grew up in and my parents' home still. I can't tell you where they are, but it's like thousands somewhere mm-hmm. and you know someone told me hey you might want to get those looked at but uh, it is what it is i'll maybe next time i go i'll check it out but yeah. very excited to to hear about it from your perspective what you've seen especially being at panini for so many years now and really kind of watching this happen right in front of your eyes but the first question i have for everybody before we get to that is why do you love sports so much Man, I think it's just the the emotion that you get uh, watching your favorite team, seeing your favorite players, seeing something incredible happen, just seeing that determination of, of, of an athlete, you know, who's got everything going against them and then they turn around and do something spectacular, right? I mean, there's not many things in this world where you can see that and witness it and be like, wow. So, and that's what's special about trading cards too, to be honest. Like, I think that I always say, and I've said it forever, and I grew up collecting cards too, of course. But, you know, whether you're, you know, four years old or 40 years old, you put a pack of cards in someone's hands and it doesn't matter how old you are, you know, you just want to open up the pack and see what's inside it. And if it happens to be, you happen to get a player from your favorite team, you know, or you happen to get a really hot rookie that people are excited about, you get ecstatic. It doesn't matter how old you are. And, and, you know, to have that as a product is something that we work on and market um, is just so, so incredible. And it is interesting, right? Like you have that pack in your hand and that's always the fun part about the breaks, right? I have a friend, um, Leighton Shelton, uh, who, uh, you know, vintage breaks, just uh, just collectibles, I think. I can't remember exactly the name of it, but he's an awesome dude and he's been doing this thing for a long time. And, you know, that's what him and I have spoken about before, right? You don't know what is in that pack? You know, it's kind of like that whole Schrodinger's cat. Like you can open it up and the cat could be alive and you can get some really awesome stuff. Or, you know, unfortunately the cat could be dead, which kind of sucks, but Hey, (laughs) you're not familiar with Schrodinger's cat. I'm not trying to kill any cats. Don't worry guys. But it's just really interesting how before you open it up, it can be anything. And there's, you know, it's, you know, $10 or whatever the value is of the pack when the wrapping is on. But once Mm -hmm. you take it off, it it takes a completely new form, which I, that that's, that's the fun part for me is, is kind of not knowing and, and just seeing what happens. And it is, uh, it is very exciting. And that's why there's now an entire, and has been for a while, but the break uh, aspect of it where, you know, you could go live on the YouTube, onto Twitch, onto Instagram, onto Facebook, yeah. wherever you could just watch people open up packs of cards, right? Like, and it's, there's a huge market around that. Like, yeah. did you ever think that in your life? Like, obviously the internet had to exist, but did you ever think like that would be such a, just a big thing, just watching other people open up packs of cards? I mean, you know, 
not to the level that it is, right? Like, I mean, obviously when you're a kid and you go into your hobby store, you're sitting around watching your friends open their pack, right? So, I mean, it would make sense that like, hey, we can magnify magnify this and elevate this opportunity to a global perspective through the internet. And so when case breaking really started to, you know, come its way into the trading card category, probably about seven years ago, you know, Panini was one of the first brands to really embrace them and say, hey, yeah, this is great. Let's do this. What can we do to help you? You know, and so we integrated them into a number of our events that we do, you know, with athletes, you know, whether that's the NFLPA rookie premiere or the NBA all-star game or the NBA rookie photo shoot, you know, you name it, you know, we've brought those breakers to, to those events to one, interact with the players, kind of tell, tell the story of who the player is off the card. Because when you start to understand who the player is, you get more excited about collecting them. And I think that the other part of that is that this case-breaking opportunity also changed the hobby environment from the hobby shop to now it's a global community, right? And so literally, you know, you could be sitting on your couch at 11 o'clock at night watching some dude in, you know, China open up packs of cards. I remember um, in 2014 when we launched our Prism World Cup product, just seeing this dude opening up packs of cards and he pulled out the Lionel Messi one-of-one And he literally went crazy. And it was just like, whoa, like, you know, to see the excitement and the energy of someone on there. And then you're like, wow, wait, wait a minute. That's, that's incredible. And then all of a sudden you're like enthusiastic and you want to get into it because you're like the, just the euphoria around finding that, that card is, you know, special. Um, No different than when we were kids, but sometimes we just forget about it. And I think, you know, and not to jump too far ahead, but in the pandemic is we start to think about, you know, what people were doing, there was no sports for months, right? Uh, There's that feeling of like nostalgia, wanting to feel like safe and secure and comfortable and, and, you know, case breaking and trading cards, you know, being able to watch and be a part of a community while you're still sitting at home, I think really helped elevate it. And, you know, kind of in, in some cases for the hobby shops who were, you know, had to shut down for a little bit of time, at least if they hadn't been doing case breaking, there was this roadmap to success. It wasn't like, oh my God, now what do we do? It was, hey, let's just get a webcam. Let's turn it on. Let's reach out to all our customers and let's just go. You know, and so that really kind of propelled things. Um, you know, I, I would say that we probably started to see the rise of, you know, the excitement and energy coming around cards, you know, probably in the last 24 months or so, like just the elevation was happening. Uh, certainly on the NBA side, we saw it a little bit earlier than that as, as it started to emerge as really a global community. And you, you got those collectors in China wanting to open up the product and collectors in Australia, you know, opening up the product and loving the product. And so really kind of expanding that global community. But, you know, you go into the NBA season and you get Trey Young and Luka Doncic who just kind of blow up. And people started getting really exciting for their car, really excited for their cars. And then you follow that up with, you know, John Morant and, you know, Zion Williamson. And everyone was so focused heavily on Zion and Ja that these other guys that, you know, had a chance to perform well, uh, Zion hadn't stepped on the court, really kind of got an opportunity to elevate their game and kind of elevate their profile. And then you see a guy like Tyler Hero, Mm -hmm. you know, who had a, awesome Eastern conference finals. And I hate to say that because I'm from Boston, but man, that 37 points was ridiculous. So, you know, I mean, so there's those types of things that, you know, kind of bring that connection together. 
And so I was going to wait a little bit longer to bring this part up, but you brought it up now. How much the the how much does a card's price change when someone like Tyler Hero does that on the biggest stage? Like how much is there like the volatility in that specific person? How much is, do you see, you know, over, you know, over at Panini or or I don't know if you track this kind of stuff or on eBay or wherever, do you notice this big of a influx or or um you know uh, want desire for someone like tyler hero after he drops 37 points on your celtics and pretty much puts you guys into the ground sorry <laughs> oh, thanks, was that thanks. too specific thanks. i'm really sorry about that man. Reminder. um no but back to your first question not necessarily about putting the celtics in the ground but you know performance is always kind of driven you know markets whether that's you know the stock market or whether that's trading cards and athletes right and, and i think the perfect example you know, and not even in, including Tyler Hero, but the first example of that was Jeremy Lin, right? So Jeremy Lin, when he came out, you know, our National Treasures product, which was at the time one of our high-end products really, and still is one of our high-end products, but, you know, sells for $500 a box at that point. You know, Jeremy Lin's card from his rookie year was selling for about $2. You know, fast forward two years later and you get to Lin Sanity and that card is now $30,000 you know, because of the performance and, you know, the excitement around that. Now, naturally, that card has come down, you know, but I think that, um, you know, anytime there's tied to like a key performance and it's sustainable, that's where you see the rise in the, you know, in the cards and, you know, and, you know, volatility is volatility. You have it everywhere, whether it's in the stock market, whether you have it on, you know, betting, someone tells you, you know, to bet the under and everyone's betting the under. It's, all about how you want to proceed, right? So I think the great thing about collecting is that, you know, you determine how you want to collect. You want to collect your favorite team, focus on collecting your favorite team. You want to collect your favorite players, focus on collecting your favorite players. You want to collect rookies in the hopes that you might find a Tyler Hero when no one else is thinking about Tyler Hero, then go do it, right? And then, you know, and then you're watching and, you know, that person elevate and climb, whether it be for whatever reason it is, whether it's because you love him because he played at Kentucky or you love him because, or you love it because, you know, you, you got it for a dollar and you're going to flip it now that he's lit it up, you know? So, you know, it's, it's that type of stuff that kind of happens all the time, you know, based on player performance. So, and this is something that I just thought of as you were talking, it's kind of like a mix between the stock market and fantasy sports almost, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, there's always been that, you know, that comparison to stock market, um, you know, just based on the rise and fall of cards. And, and so, and, and, you know, back in the day, back in the day, five years ago, right? Like, you know, we we're so focused on, you know, the, you know, if we have a strong rookie class, then this means this we're, means trading cards are going to have a great year because there's a strong rookie class. Um, and now we're at a point where that's not necessarily doesn't matter as much because there's always a rookie that that steps out, whether it's Giannis, you know, coming out, you know, when he came out, it was like, OK, now he's next level. He's winning NBA MVPs and people are excited about him. So they go back and they try to get his cards. And so, you know, understanding that um, certainly helps. But I think now it's all about the brands, right? So like everyone wants to go get our prism trading card brand, whether that's in the NBA or in the NFL, we've got our NASCAR prism product releasing, you know, in about three weeks, I just looked at my calendar. Um, you know, so, um, 
you know, so the Prism brand and, you know, other brands that we've introduced, whether it's Mosaic, which was introduced two years ago in NBA and really just beautiful metallic foils, pops. It's so awesome. Um, you know, we're in, we just introduced that on the NFL side, um, you know, this year for the first time. And then you've got our high end products that people just the, the expectation is, man, I got to get that card, you know, in that product because that's going to be the one that everyone wants. Um, you know, it used to be that that's the one everyone wants no matter what. Now we've got that separation where people are going out and saying, hey, you know what? I want to get it in prison. I want to get it in, you know, our mosaic product, our contenders product, whatever it may be. What makes a like, why does somebody need that product? What makes a high end sports card from somebody that doesn't really know the market? Like, what is it? Is it, is it better? cardboard like I'm, I'm being facetious obviously but like what what exactly is it that makes a high-end so there, there's a couple of things the first thing is obviously the quality of you know the player that's in that product of course right so there um the quantity of that player there's scarcity built into the product right so you know it, we have a product you know called flawless and you know they're cards that are numbered to 49 or less they don't go any higher they don't go any lower Right. And so, you know, and, and that's some of that's changed, but the reality is, is that, you know, there's scarcity built into the product. Um, the players autographs are included in the product. Um, they're included in all the products, but it might be a hard signed auto, which means that the player has signed the card as opposed to signing stickers or other pieces that we then embed in the card, all very different, all, you know, variety of reasons, but, you know, on the high end, you're more likely to get a hard signed auto. Um, you've got a piece of prime memorabilia from the Jersey. So like the NBA logo man is the one that everyone wants. Right. And so Giannis's national treasures rookie card just sold for $1.82 million, you know, two weeks ago. And it was his, his national treasures, NBA logo man, one of one. Right. So you've got that NBA logo man. In some cases, you've got a piece of the number, you've got a piece of the nameplate. Um, so all those other things. And then in addition to that, like our product, like flawless, we'll have, you know, gems embedded in them pieces, you know, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, pieces of gold embedded into the cards. Like, you know, so that's the difference between a high end, um, you know, and maybe a mid range product. Right. And the mid range products, you know, like prism that you could actually go out to target if you're lucky or Walmart, if you're lucky and find them. Um, you know, but you could get a pack of cards for $9.99 or a blaster for, you know, a box with four packs in it for $20. And you might end up hitting a, you know, a unique parallel that's got a different color variation of John Morant. And that card can just be, you know, huge money out of a pack that, you know, costs you $10. So there's a whole bunch of different reasons in terms of or things that kind of define, you know, high end compared to mid range to, you know, base product or, you know, more mainstream product that is, you know, traditionally been focused on bringing people into the category. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, yeah, if you guys are putting rubies and gems and pieces <laughs> of jersey in there, I can understand why they're a little bit more high end. That makes sense. Yeah. I get it. And the big Not thing is obviously scarcity, right? Like it, mm -hmm. the trading card category has always been built on scarcity, you know, and what happened in the eighties, you know, unfortunately when I grew up and thought that I was like, oh yeah, these cards are going to help me buy my house. Right. Or whatever. 
was that they became overproduced. You know, they just kept hitting the print button. Whereas now there's built-in scarcity to every product. And so that that creates the value in the product that lasts, you know, you know, from a longer, you know, for longevity. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of curious, you're talking about scarcity. So I might have to bring up one of your competitors here. Um, and this is the first time I really remembered that baseball cards were a thing was when Bartolo Colon hit that home run in San Diego. I'm a big Mets Uh fan, so that helps. And then one of your competitors, they had their now series. I don't know if I'm allowed to say them by name. I won't just so that way I make sure you guys share this a little bit more. And that was kind of the first time I remembered like, Oh yeah, I forgot baseball cards were even a thing. And since then it seems like the market has only just shot up. Does Panini do anything like that? That is like just specifically just trying to create as much scarcity as possible. You get 24 hours to buy this. Yeah. You can only buy two and there you go. It's it. It's done. Yeah. Well, you can't do, I mean, it, there's obviously an unlimited amount, but yeah, the idea of, you know, cards have always been based on, you know, performance. Right. And so, you know, with our Panini instant product, which is our direct to consumer product, real time product, you know, it's allowed us to get to uh, that moment and put that moment out there quicker than waiting three months for it to come out in a product. And so that's really what our Panini Instant product does. And so, it, you know, it, it's designed to focus on, you know, maximizing key performances. So when Tyler Hero goes off for 37 points, the next day you can buy his Panini Instant Tyler Hero card. You know, and we've got limited... We, we also create scarcity in that too. So there's the base version where, you know, if 5,000 people buy it, then there's 5,000 cards. Mm-hmm. If, you know, 500 people buy it, then it's 500 cards in that 24 hour window. But then we also have a one of one version, you know, numbered to 10 version, you know, a number to 25 version, you know, so that there's, you know, scarcity even built into that unique moment. And then, you know, then the, then the opportunity is if Tyler Hero goes on to win an MVP or he goes on to win a finals, doesn't look like it's going to happen this year, but don't, you know, knock on wood. Um, you know, there, there is then that, you know, opportunity and we're saying like, I remember when his rookie year and you brought it up again. I just want to say that you brought up Tyler Hero again. I did not. It's the most recent. Rookie performance. Well, full disclosure, it's the most yeah. re- recent rookie performance and, mm-hmm. you know, on the, on the NBA side. I mean, we and could, the fact that it's but to Joe Burrow too. I mean, yeah. I've got no problems with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow tying the Eagles, man. I loved every second of that. But with yeah. with that, I mean, it's it's also the fact that it's his rookie year, right? Which adds yeah. that extra layer. So, what is it about rookie cards? Like, I have an Ichiro rookie card that's literally just sits upstairs in my office. I have no idea how much it's worth. I'm kind of scared to look. Like, I got it as a present when I think. His second year, my uh, my uncle, who works for a minor league baseball team, loves trading cards. So he took me to my first trading card show. I bought, you know, my first Mike Piazza card. It was like I don't know, like a dollar fifty or whatever. Um, and you know, that's what he gave me for Christmas one year. He's like, "You're this is going to be really important one day." And I don't really know how important it is. It doesn't really mean too much to me. I mean, it means something to me. Obviously, he gave it to right. me. I love it. But like, uh, monetarily, it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, but what is it about rookie cards and why do we love rookie cards so much? Like why wouldn't we want LeBron's like best season ever card? Because that's when he right. had his best season ever. I think you still do want that card, but I mean, okay. on the rookie side of it, it's always like, well, Hey, it's one of the first, okay. right. And you know, the first always seems to be the most valuable, you know, over the long year, you know, you become an NBA legend, you go into the Hall of Fame, you become a football legend, you be, go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you always want that first rookie card instead of like the first NFL MVP or Super Bowl MVP. Those are good ones to have too. 
but there's something about the rookie side of it. And I think the other part that's really kind of cool about the rookie side is the prospecting side of it, right? Like, you know, we talked about Jeremy Lin. If you were all in on Jeremy Lin when no one else was and you weren't, you know, had like an emotional connection to that card where you can just say, you know what, I'm going to sell it because he's hot. You know, you can do that. You know, I, I think the first couple of cards that I remember as a kid were, as, as a kid was, you know, getting that Eric Dickerson rookie. Like Eric Dickerson, he's actually right behind me. Oh, is that who that? Um, okay, I couldn't tell who it was from here. That's awesome. Yeah. So that Eric Dickerson rookie card, man, I wanted that card more than anything in the world. And I remember splitting a, a box of cards with my friend at the pizza place and opening up packs of cards. And all I cared about was Eric Dickerson. Meanwhile, he's jumping up and down because he's got John Elway rookie and Dan Marino rookie. And I could care less because I'm like, I just need Eric Dickerson, you know, and I still visualize and have the image of that Eric Dickerson card in my head. And similar to, you know, the Don Russ rated rookie Bo Jackson card, like 1987, that one always comes into my head when I think about rated rookie, you know, and I remember sitting there in my hobby store, just opening up packs and packs of cards of like, man, I got to get this Bo Jackson rookie. I got to get the Bo Jackson rated rookie, you know? And, and so those two cards, like, I mean, for me, that's the emotional connection. I'll never sell those. You know, doesn't matter. Like, I just, I want them because that's the thing that I remember, you know? So I think that's what comes with the, with the rookie side of it. And I also think that there's an opportunity from a rookie perspective that brings other people into, you know, the marketplace. And so Zion and, and Ja are a really good example on the NBA side, you know, where it was like, if you weren't in trading cards before you were like, but you'd collected maybe when you were a kid, all of a sudden a guy comes along like John ja Morant or Zion. And you're like, I need to go get that card. I need to find a way to get that card. And it brings people back into the market and they get excited about, you know, trying to find that card because, you know, it's a generational player. Let's go Zion. I'm a big Duke blue devils fan. So RJ Barrett too, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Shout out RJ as well. Um, yeah. but with, so, so you bring up emotions and that's actually a really interesting um, piece of it, right? Because as you said, like, it doesn't matter. You wanted that Eric Dickerson. Someone told you it was X dollars. As you said, you thought it was being able to help you buy a house one day. I don't know if it ended up happening. I mean, you have the jobs. Hopefully the job got you to uh, yeah. buy, buy a house. But with that, like with, with the emotional aspect, that entire side of it, what have you seen in terms of the hobbyist, the person that's just like, yeah, collecting cards is fun. Like it's cool versus like the investment side of it. As you said, if you were in on Jeremy Lin when his card was $2 and you were able to flip that for 30 K, I mean, that is, that's, that's some ROI. Um, really yeah. appreciate that. And Hey, actually my uncle just commented, hi, uncle Dave, hope you're doing well. Um, he's the one who bought me that Ichiro, yeah. um, Ichiro rookie card. So we appreciate the heck out of you, uncle Dave. But yeah. um, with that, like how how have you seen that investment versus hobbyist and both of those I'm assuming are continue to build and what are you seeing more of I guess in this space So first off on the emotion side I mean whether you're a hobbyist a collector for whatever reason or an investor right you're still going to have that that moment of emotion when you hit that card mm -hmm. right so that that part doesn't necessarily change your motive behind the emotion is obviously a bit different Mm -hmm. Right. But that emotion doesn't change as it relates to connecting to that card. And so that's the part that's really cool when you see people open up packs of cards online um, and you and you, you know, and they hit a card. Um, you know, I remember last year, um, you know, a, a guy from Kentucky um, pulled a Zion and he was just ecstatic. I mean, granted, Zion played at Duke. Right. Yes. But I mean, he was like, you know, the, this Kentucky Wildcat diehard fan 
you know, pulls his eye on you. He was, he was so like nonchalant at first because he he was just sitting there at his dinner table, like opening up packs of cards and, you know, and he just th- that calm, like, okay, okay. And then it was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And his hands start shaking. He's like, I just pulled his eye on and literally was like, went crazy. But to be able to see that emotion, you know, and that, you know, transformation in real time on video is so cool. And, you know, to know that we have a product that, you know, kind of creates that level of emotion is amazing. And so we push into that as much as we possibly can from a marketing perspective. And, you know, the the internet has been huge on that side because what used to happen in just the hobby store has now become, you know, a global thing where everyone can see your card, everyone can see your hit. And that's why, you know, it's so exciting to be in the space. It, it is. It's it's really cool. And, you know, I think the Internet has absolutely expedited that process a little bit, as you said, the pandemic as well. And and during this pandemic, so as you said, about two years ago is when it really started to pick back up again in a really nice way. And then obviously over the last four to six months with everyone being stuck inside, we've been seeing more and more personalities, more people. Uh, more investments made, especially, you know, again, that volatility of the market. We're seeing a lot with the NBA finals. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr., you can tell me how much his card costs because I hope it's a lot of money. That dude's going to be awesome. But from like with with that, like how how excited have you been? Like, obviously, we didn't want the pandemic to happen, but right. if you can take advantage of a bad situation and turn it into something good, like how how much more conversation, how much more uh, just just engagement have you guys been getting with this pandemic and with the skyrocketing of this industry which seemed again you know, like as of two years ago was I'm not going to say dead but like i again i pay yeah, a lot of attention to sports it definitely wasn't dead but i mean i think what's happened over the last four you know four to six months like we said just that you know ability to connect you know in a safe way right and then on top of that just you know that you know, with zero sports going on, they, I mean, we're all like, you know, we're yeah. desperate to just watch a sport, a sporting event, you know? And so whether that was the first sport coming back, we're all watching it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, you know, so I think that connection is really kind of risen. I think the thing that's really cool when you think about it, especially for me, for someone that's been in it and I've been with Panini now for 10 years, uh, in October. Um, Hey, congratulations. You know, yeah, thank you. I know. It, just to see what's happened with Panini in those 10 years where we came into the market and no one knew who where we were. We were the exclusive trading card partner. Everyone kind of knew who we were from a global perspective because of our soccer business and what we do with the FIFA World Cup and the sticker collection. But to see where we started 10 years ago to where we are now is a lot of hard work. you know. But for me, during the pandemic, I think the things that have been really kind of cool and it, you know, to see was just that, you know, that sense of ease that people had to be able to open up packs of cards and just not worry about what's going on outside, you know, to be able to be like, wow, this is cool. And, you know, to bring back some of that nostalgia that they had, you know, when they were kids or they remember when they were kids and they didn't have to worry about a mortgage payment or what was going on. And now they're sharing that with their kids. Like that part is really cool. I love that part. That's the part that really gets me excited, you know, and then the other side of it, which is, you know, kind of inside the, the, the game, for lack of a better definition, is I think about these NFL rookies that went through this process and these NBA rookies that are starting that have gone through this process um, and still don't know where they're going to be, you know. And these guys, these NFL rookies, you know, they they've waited their the, talk to back to the whole sports thing. They've waited their entire life for this moment, 
And all of a sudden, everything that they've been told about getting to that moment and how they needed to prepare, there was a way to do it. And then all of a sudden, everything was flipped over and they had to figure out like, hey, I got to go to the park and go work out like, you know, and prepare for my pro day. And so they're preparing and preparing and preparing. And then their pro days are canceled. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I have to go on team visits I'm, and I'm preparing for my team visit and I know what I need to ask. And now it's a Zoom call. Right. And they're like they some of these guys, you know, they're drafted. They'd never been to that city before. They didn't even get a chance to go in and visit with the team. So they don't even know what the city looks like or feels like you know, none of those things. And in some cases, they didn't even get to their city until like a week before they opened up camps because there was no reason for them to be there. And they wanted to keep training and keep to their routine that they had just shifted to. And for us, from a trading card perspective, rookies are really important. We draw, they drive our category in terms of, you know, they'll sign X amount of signatures per year in their rookie year. They're the most signatures you'll ever sign in your life is in your rookie year. You know, it doesn't matter if you go on to win six Super Bowls like Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're never going to sign more signature, more autographs for trading cards than your rookie season. And so for these guys, I mean, in some cases, it was their only income. Right. So they're signing our cards knowing and 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 we're the only ones that are able to pay them because they don't have marketing meet appearances happening. They don't have meet and greets happening. They don't have all these other things that typically would have happened during a normal year in in the buildup to your rookie season. And so on the NBA side, same thing. I mean, these guys are supposed to be drafted in June. You know, they haven't played a game since March. You know, if they were able to get one game in during the tournament, you know, during their conference tournament, I should say. Right. So they haven't played. They're supposed to be drafted in June. Then they're supposed to be drafted in October. Now they're going to be drafted November 18th, you know, and, you know, that whole process is completely changed. And so to know that, you know, the connection that we have with those rookies to trading cards, which we've always pushed in on, you know, and always kind of use them and l- utilize them for, for marketing efforts, you know, in their rookie year, you know, to have that connection and know that, you know, in some, ca- in some cases, we're helping them prepare for their professional career because it's the only thing they can do. They can sit at home and sign cards. Um, you know, is really kind of special. And, you know, that's not something that everyone talks about in the space, but it's something that we obviously see. And so, you know, there it's a, it's a different level of appreciation for a two and a half by three and a half piece of cardboard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is awesome, man. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that all of, I mean, you know, obviously watching, you know, the NFL draft and everything and, and always paying attention to the NBA draft as well and understanding yeah. that it gets pushed off, but obviously they can't get paid. Right. And, and as you said, if you guys can be a source of income for them in some way, shape or form, at least it's something, right. At least it's some way to pay their trainers or, you know, get whoever, you know, help, help whomever out and do whatever they need to do. I think that's really important. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm, thank you for bringing that up because I, I honestly had no idea that's how it worked. And now hopefully, you know, the, the, the people that are listening and paying attention and watching, they know that as well too, because I think it's definitely something, you know, if you can, it, with, with everything that's already going on in the world, throw this on top of it for them where they, they really can't earn an income uh, makes it yeah. difficult. And if there's something that you guys can do for them, I think that's awesome. And, and from a, a league and a, a company standpoint, I know you have some uh, exclusive deals with athletes. As you already said, you do have some exclusive, uh, you know, opportunities with specific leagues. How, how does that affect your bottom line? I guess, how does that affect you as the vice president of marketing? How, how much do you get to lean into that? Because uh, is it Zion or RJ Barrett or is it both of them? What do you mean? That you guys have an exclusive deal with. 
We have we have deals. Uh, so Zion's exclusive on trading cards. Okay. Uh, John Morant is ex- exclusive on trading cards and memorabilia. Okay. Um, just just talking about rookies. So is yeah. uh, Roy, so is Roya Hachimura exclusive on trading cards and memorabilia. We obviously anticipated him playing in the Summer Olympics this yeah that during the NBA Finals right now. So uh, actually back in August, but um, you know, and then RJ is exclusive on trading cards, and so. Okay. You know, but we also have our relationships with the players association so that we have, you know, the ability to have all the players featured in our product. And, you know, in addition to those exclusive athletes, you know, we have at any one time, you know, 2000 athletes under contract, you know, signing cards for us uh, across all sports. So, um, you know, whether that's soccer, whether that's NASCAR, whether it's football or baseball or basketball, you name it. Um, you know, those, that, that stuff is churning through our building, um, you know, is they're shipping cards back to us or getting the cards back to us. I think the thing that's been interesting is that, you know, even though, and we, we talked about the connection to the rookies and, you know, and what we mean to them this year, and we always mean something to them, Yeah. but this year where there's been limitations on everything else, we mean more. And so, What's interesting is that in the case of like the NFL rookies, the last time we saw most of these guys were at the NFL combine in March, you know, but I would say that there's a handful of guys that I feel like extremely close to, even though I haven't seen them since March face to face uh, because of all the things that we're doing with them, whether it's, you know, meet and greet zoom Q and A's with fans in their markets, you know, capturing content in a very socially distant, safe way by pulling up, you know, in our airstream that we converted into a content lab, you know, pulling up to their house after a practice to grab content with them or whatever it might be, you know, we're doing all those things. And so I think that there's an appreciation there from the player, like, wow, you guys are still finding ways to utilize me and not, you know, and, you know, there's not many other people that are doing that right now, you know, because they just can't. So, yeah, again, I think that's awesome that you guys are able to do that and really be able to help push them uh, in these ways, shape or form and understanding that rookies are extremely important to your business, helping them out with their rookies, obviously. But then, as you also said, there's always going to be that connection to you guys in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I think Patrick Mahomes is a really good example of that. And, you know, Patrick was, you know, a guy that came out of Texas Tech to, you know, two hours after he declared for the draft, he got on a plane and flew to our office and walked around our office and, you know, and then we, you know, he decided not to go to the draft in Philadelphia. You know, we sponsored his draft party at home in Texas, you know, and so he's there. We're there when, you know, when the chiefs jump up to 10 and draft him, uh, you know, to be a part of that moment was special. And then, you know, then we bring him to the Super Bowl with us to do a skills clinic in, you know, radio row and, you know, in two days before he's about to go go on radio row for us and talk to a whole bunch of people about his relationship with Panini, you know, the Chiefs trade Alex Smith to the Redskins and all of a sudden he's, you know, a QB one of 32 in the league, mm-hmm. you know, and just going through that whole process with him and then obviously, you know, wins the NFL MVP and then the next year wins Super Bowl MVP, you know, in a three-year span. Like that, how quickly that's happened from a rookie perspective where people were excited about him you know, then he goes and wins the NFL MVP a year later, you know, to, you know, the Super Bowl MVP, you know, in his third year is incredible. How much does his card cost right now? It's on fire right now. So it just depends on what you're looking at. But yeah, so I mean, he's a, he's a different guy. 
So he's like a cool dude. He's won me a bunch of money too, so I'm not angry about it. Yeah. And you know, again, yeah. speaking of rookies, one of the things that really interests me in having this conversation was I got a notification. Feel like it was about a month ago, right now, but that Mike Trout rookie card that just sold for you'd probably know it better, but like three point eight million dollars or something. Um, yeah, and I, that's, I guess the highest. Uh, of all time at this point like Mm -hmm. when you see something like that how excited do you get knowing that records are only made to be broken right like there's there's gonna be another one and it's probably going to be Patrick Mahomes right it's probably going to be one of these other guys like how how exciting is that for you to see that your industry is just continuing to grow and grow and grow to the point where you know some again you know to boil it down a piece of cardboard with some some print on it and maybe some rubies and diamonds apparently but uh, all of that included i mean it's selling for 3.8 million dollars which means someone's selling for four which means eventually someone's gonna be selling for five six seven and it's only gonna continue it's amazing where you think like you know for the longest time the honus wagner card was the card right and someone that has one yeah wow I, yep. He, he, uh, uh, sorry to, to interrupt you, but he literally was in, he was at a yard sale and bought a book and in the book it was used as a placeholder. So it's not like mint condition or anything, but right. literally owns this card because, and he found it as he was reading through the book. He just finds this Honus Wagner baseball card. How crazy yeah, is that? That's crazy. So, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, just to see how quickly it's, it's jumped. And I mean, I think for us that are in the modern day cards, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, knowing that there's the potential that that's going to be the next mark, right? Like to hit. And, you know, I mentioned Giannis hitting at, you know, $1.82 million, you know, two weeks ago, you know, beating out LeBron's rookie card, um, you know, is huge. And you think about the guys that are, you know, in the league now that, you know, that you could compare to Giannis. And is there someone that can, you know, you know, jump ahead of him from a rookie perspective and, you know, on a rookie card perspective. And yes, there will be at some point, um, you know, could be one of the guys that are a rookie this year, could be John Moran, you know, could be Luka Doncic, you know, from two years ago. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think that um, each sport is a little bit different, but because there's a global community now, um, the excitement around these players resonates across the, you know, across the globe now. And so, you know, that's totally changed. Like, I mean, that's where a guy like Mike Trout or a guy like, you know, Giannis or, you know, John Morant or you name it, you know, Patrick Mahomes, um, a guy like that from a global perspective, there's more visibility and awareness of those players now than, you know, say Honus Wagner. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, everyone's seeing those games now, Um, you know, and so that just is going to help elevate the market and elevate, you know, the value of those cards. And I think that's, you know, that again, it comes down to a lot of the scarcity as well. As you said, they were extremely overproduced for a while. So who cares mm-hmm. if you have one of a million that doesn't really do anything for anyone. It's yeah. these one of one, one of 10, one of 20s that people really do get excited about. And I think that that part is really interesting. And from to take it, I, I still have a couple other questions. Yeah, just uh, real quick on that scarcity yeah. piece, because I, I think that it's really important for people to understand. So you know, Panini is a brand and we have done this from the very beginning. This is not something that's changed, not something. I mean, we've always been focused on maintaining the value of the market is built on scarcity. So there's only so much you can build of a certain product. You know, once you hit that scarcity number, boom, time to move on, create a different product, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, that's, that's how it's helped grow the market. And that's why you see the value of cards, you know, spread across a number of different brands because we've built the scarcity into the product and we've never, you know, 
tweak the product so that it, you know, so that there's an overproduction of volume. Mm -hmm. you, you have to manage that balance. As soon as you forget that balance, that's where you, you know, start to get in trouble. There are brands that can do that, you know, and raise the volume, but there are also brands that can't go any higher than what they've already been because of the scarcity that's built into the brand identifier of what that brand stands for. Mm -hmm. So, Thank you know, you. those things are, you know, extremely important to understand. So it's not like, oh, are they just going to start hitting the print button? I appreciate that. I appreciate you know, that. Like, that is... so much we can produce of national treasures and so much we can produce of flawless, mm -hmm. so much we can produce of prism or, you know, mosaic based on, you know, numbering and scarcity. And and with that, with Panini, and we'll get to the whole, uh, I'll get to the the naming of the company in a little bit, because it's still, first time I saw it, I was like, what's this sandwich company doing <laughs> signing a deal with Zion? That was confusing. But with um, outside of sports, uh, and we actually have a, a little comment here from Ben. I uh, appreciate you. He also says Go Terriers. So I guess he's a, a Boston, up, Boston as well. Um, yeah, Boston California. University. But um, with non-sports figures, right? Like Magic the Gathering. I used to play a lot of Magic the Gathering growing up. And some of those cards are crazy expensive for, you know, because again, it comes down to, hey, there's six of them. So that makes them a little bit more important. You know, obviously Pokemon cards, I think are making a comeback. Like that part is pretty interesting. Like, he even has the, his comment. I don't know if it's facetious or not, but what do you think the value of a Dr. Fauci card is? Like what outside of sports, what are you guys seeing in terms of just, other types of trading cards and just like, I don't even know, like what is a Dr. Fauci card considered? Like, is that like a, like, I don't even know what category that's fixed into, but like, what have you seen on that end? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's always been, you know, unique cards that have been produced based on the time, mm -hmm. um, you know, the time period or whatever. Like we had the, you know, the, the black cat from the Monday night football game against the giants <laughs> produced on a Panini instant card that people went crazy over, you know, two years ago or whatever. Um, you know, there's always those cards that are kind of, you know, created or those, those personalities that are incorporated into cards based on what they've done in other sides of, you know, and, in, in you know, whether what's going on in the, in the current world marketplace or whether they're a celebrity. So, I mean, you know, that stuff, there's a point, there's a, there's a spot for it. It's not necessarily a spot that we focus a lot of attention on, mm -hmm. um, you know, from an entertainment perspective, we produce Fortnite cards. You know, so we do Fortnite cards. We have some other things that are that'll be releasing soon too, uh, with some other entertainment properties. But um, you know, that's an element of the business uh, for sure. Um, I couldn't tell you like I, I wouldn't know values of Pokemon cards. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, you know, because it's just not something that we focus on uh, from a market perspective. But um, you know, there's definitely people out there that are collecting them for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely. I mean, Pokemon's still yeah. huge. I mean, I remember it from what, like 1995 or whatever, 91. Yeah. I don't even remember. And uh, it, it's just crazy uh, how it's still stuck around, stuck the test of time. So shout out to them. And I guess, so the last question I do have for you with everything that's been going on and, and seeing again, you know, trading cards and sports cards becoming much more of a, now it's an investment. Like you can create a portfolio of this. So actually two last questions. I apologize. My uncle, yeah. uh, Dave, again, shout out him. He actually, he had a good point. So I'm curious about what have you seen in terms of, you know, box sets, like being able to collect every single card from a, not, I think he has here, 1975 top set or whatever. Like how, mm -hmm. how is that valued in the market where like, Hey, I have this entire set. Like, do people care about that kind of thing still is that like that important where if you miss one of those cars the value plummets or like how how is that kind of 
No, I, so I think the thing that's happened and the thing that kind of transitioned from the 90s, and, and so I, I mentioned that, you know, people collect how they want to collect, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, a, you know, there's segments of collectors, right, that are built on set collecting, right? And so they focus on collecting sets or they focus on, you know, collecting inserts now. Like, you know, they want to catch the, they want to get the whole prism rainbow or the different variation of colors that, that exist, you know, for a specific player. So they're collecting on that form as opposed to collecting a, you know, a 500 card set per se. Um, you know, there's still some of that. And we, we do that with our hoops, you know, box set, you know, for the NBA and, you know, but it's not, it's not a huge segment of, of the category because people collect differently. I mean, they're focused on collecting their favorite players. They're focused on collecting rookies. They're focused on collecting their favorite veteran players. They're focused on collecting, you know, their favorite team. And so, you know, it's that side of it. And then collecting the inserts, like they found, they find an insert that's really compelling that they absolutely love. People love our Kaboom insert, you know, so they want to go out and collect all the Kaboom cards, you know, and there's value in that, in that product and, and, and that insert for sure. But, you know, they like the way it looks. So they decide that they just want to collect all of them. And so, you know, that's where the variety comes into the very, very you know, the various different brands and products you know, that come in, they want to collect all the rated rookie cards, you know, in our Donruss product or our contenders rookie ticket, you know, which was, you know, for the longest time, you know, and still is one of the really like sought after rookie cards to get is the contenders rookie ticket. And you think of the Tom Brady rookie ticket card that, you know, sold for, and this was before the, the rise, but, you know, sold for, you know, a, a ridiculous amount of money at the time, not millions, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'd be excited to see what that looks like, you know, eight months from now. But, you know, so, I mean, there's those types of ways of people that are collecting. So, I mean, it's not necessarily about completion of an entire set as much as, it, as, much as it's about, you know, maybe focusing on an, a specific insert or focusing on collecting a player or a team. And, you know, with case breaking, it's all about, you know, one of the things that shifted us with case breaking was making sure that all 32 teams were were represented at a fairly equal basis on the NFL side. So, you know, back in the day, we might not be so focused on the New York Jets. Uh, no offense to New York Jets. But now because of case breaking, you know, we have them in there because they have to. Because if you're in a case break and you have the New York Jets, you need to go get it. Like you need to have that card. And, you know, two years ago when Sam Darnold came out, I mean, that was a card that everyone wanted, you know, whether you were a Jets fan or not, because he was a compelling rookie quarterback. Whoops. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Well, we'll see. Uh, you're a Boston fan and I'm a Giants fan. So I, don't, I yeah. think we're on the same side on this one. Um, <laughs> and so I guess last question I have for you, uh, again, with it being such more, uh, so much more of an investment tool for many people now that, I mean, again, that's one of the opportunities people have in this market. You can, you know, you can collect the sets from specific years. You can collect teams. You can do whatever you want. If you were to try and start a portfolio today, I mean, maybe you don't have specific cards in mind. Like obviously, LeBron James, I feel like that's an easy place to start. Mike Trout, obviously these are easy places to start, but somebody that has, you know, starting from zero, where would you start to look in terms of looking at this from a, an investment standpoint, not from a, hey, this is fun. I love the Mets standpoint. Like I want to make money down the road. How do I start to do that today? Or at least put those wheels in motion. Yeah. So I would say just jump into the game and figure out and, you know, guy like Gary V, you know, people, you know, either really like him or 
you know, don't like the fact that he's, you know, opened up the the whole market and given people insights, but, you know, focus on what you want to collect because you, you should have a passion for it for one, right? You want to enjoy what you're collecting, you know, even if it's just for investing. Um, but, and then just focus on concentrating on that, you know, on those players. And so from a brand perspective, I mean, there are so many compelling brands from a Panini perspective that are spread across the NBA and the NFL and NASCAR and our Premier League relationship. And so, you know, Prism is, you know, the the thing that people are migrating to right now. And, and our Mosaic brand is a popular brand. Our Select brand is a popular brand. You can never go wrong with heritage brands like Contenders, like I mentioned, or Donruss for that matter. Um, you know, so I think that's where I would focus and, you know, just start to get in, you know, open it up and, and, and experience, you know, that lift, that euphoria you get when you open up a pack of cards and then you can continue to migrate and elevate to, but focus on the things that you like, whether it's because of the design or just the unique colors that are popping off of a card, you know, focus on those brands and jump into them there. And like I said, Prism and Mosaic, you know, those, those brands are, you know, really super beautiful. Um, you know, they're different from the cards that I collected when I was a kid, that's for sure. You know, and there's value in those cards, you know, in terms of, you know, you, you could find a, you know, a Luka Doncic card, Prism Parallel, or John Morant Prism Parallel, or a Joe Burrow Prism Parallel. That could be worth money, you know, depending on how the player performs. And so we've seen that in the market. I love it. That's good stuff, man. Well, I appreciate your time today. I was very I have one last answer for you that I didn't want you to miss out on. Panini oh. is not a sandwich company. Oh. <laughs> we do do trading cards. How did we come up with the name? We yes. didn't come up with the name. It's a family name. Um, so the Panini family, there were four brothers um, in Modena, Italy that started back in the 1960s. They had a, a newspaper business um, and they decided that they were going to start to put stickers inside the newspapers. And so stickers of sports players, Serie A, um, you know, soccer league Mm -hmm. uh, were the stickers that they started to put in. And so they put those stickers in and as they started to put stickers in the newspapers, they started to realize that people were buying more newspapers. So they thought, you know what, this newspaper thing might not last a long time. Maybe we should get into the sticker game. Um, Boy, the foresight, right? 80 years later. (laughs) Um, So it was a, a it's a family name, still is a family name. Uh, the Panini brothers created the, the, you know, the Panini brand, you know, built around Serie A uh, soccer stickers. And then in 1970, we introduced the FIFA World Cup sticker collection and have produced that every four years since. Uh, and that's just a global, you know, thing that's just absolutely crazy. Wait until you see 2022 mm-hmm. and people get, you know, ecstatic about that product. It's insane what happens around that collection. I'm sure. And I appreciate that answer. I was just kidding. I'm sure you get that question every single interview. So I just, I didn't want to like not as much as not, not as much as 10 years ago. Okay. Um, for sure. Yeah. So. I mean, I, cause I'm not super, you know, obviously I understand what sports cards are, but I'm not, you know, really high up on the game. So I was just following Zion. And when I saw like Zion signs with Panini and I was like, what? Like Panini yeah. press, like, oh, is he making sandwiches? And yeah. you know, I mean, obviously no upper deck, I know tops, you know, that kind of stuff here, but yeah. I, I had no idea, but I'm very much more familiar now, especially after this conversation. But after I read the press release a little bit more, I said, oh, that's yeah. what they do. That's well, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, so we have, a, I mentioned, we have a variety of brands in all of our sports. So, you know, Donruss, which you probably grew up collecting as a kid, you, you knew. 
um, or Maybe. most people know. And so, you know, that's a Panini brand. You know, Prism is a Panini brand. Mosaic is a Panini brand. You know, so we have a variety of brands across our sports. You know, 36 in the NFL. I think we're at 30 or 32 uh, in the NBA. Um, you know, six on on NASCAR and 11 in Major League Baseball Players Association. Um, and then I think we've got a, you know, we're growing on the Premier League side. We just took over the Premier League business uh, about a year ago now. So, um, you know, but those brands are consistent. You'll find Prism across all of those sports. You'll find Donruss mm-hmm. across all of those sports. And, you know, so there's, you know, definitely um, brand continuity across the sports. Man, how cool would it have been if Messi actually did go to Man City? You guys, whew, uh, you guys would have made a lot more money, I'm sure. But I'm sure you're doing just fine. But Jason, sincerely appreciate Christian your time Pulisic. today. Christian Pulisic, is, Christian Pulisic yeah. is the guy. Yeah, let's go America. We need somebody good at soccer. There's another guy, right? Somewhere in the um, Bundesliga, I think. But yeah. Christian Pulisic is also an exclusive Panini athlete. Oh, would you look yeah. at that? But yeah, so we were very excited when he went to the Premier League and he yeah. stepped out and balled out this year, which is great. He did. And then he got hurt, but was still a man and just rocketed that shot. That was yeah. really cool. If you haven't seen that, highly suggest it. But Jason Howarth, VP of Marketing at Panini America. This was fantastic. Really appreciate your time today, man. Oh, where can everybody find you on the internet? Um, Panini America, at Panini America on Instagram, on Twitter, you name what about it. you? What about oh, you? Yeah, yeah, personal at, brand, right? That's oh, why we're here. Oh, at Sports Marketing Guide, which is just sports, wow. M-A-T-G-G-U-I, Twitter. Yeah, How did you get that? That is incredible. Good for you. Wow. Early, early adopter on social media. So I would say good stuff. Yeah. At Sports Marketing Guide. I'll have all the links in the show notes. Appreciate everybody listening. Thank you, Jason. Right. Hope right. everybody has a wonderful day. Thanks. Talk to you later.